Benjamin David Bauman. I knew when she used my name with all of those words, I was in trouble. Benjamin, and then she slapped me. She slapped me on the face, this face. She, this, she slapped me, how dare she? How dare she, my mom? She slapped me, whereas once again, I used my words in an inappropriate sort of way. <clears throat> I learned early on, and maybe it should have been a hint that I might preach someday, that I could use words very well. I could use them for good, and I could also use them for bad. And unfortunately, uh, it took me a long time, and many slaps, and many Benjamin David Baumans to realize maybe I should change the way I handle what I say. Did I deserve it? Yes, I did. I remember in this whole, you know, mom discipline thing, uh, a wonderful moment. Let me, let me take you back in time to a beautiful time where my older brother, we got a lot, we got a lot of fights during growing up time. My brother Ed, uh, he was uh, in need of some discipline, and uh, it's just a beautiful moment. I smile thinking about it. You know, have you ever had, who says, who's got... Who's got siblings in here? You know what I'm talking about. You know, you love to see the other one get, get it. Anyway, so my mom was, uh, you know, got a good baseball swing. Back in the day, young people, um, they used to use uh, means of what I would call weapons of mass destruction, also called, you know, paddles or sticks. You know, they're disciplined. They swat you over the butt, you know. I think there was a time there where they said, no, don't use your hand. Use a stick because your hand's love and the stick is not love. Well, anyway, so <laughs> this stick... You just deal with that how you want. But my brother was, uh, you know, assuming the position. You know what I'm talking about? And my mom broke the stick over his back. Or, well, his butt. That's what it was. Derriere, however you want to say it. And it was like celebration in our house with me and my two brothers. And then she just got a bigger stick. So that didn't really, that didn't help, actually, the situation. I was just happy to see my brother <laughs> get it for, anyway. Yeah, did he deserve it? Yes, he deserved it. When I was in sixth grade, I almost, I'm embarrassed to say this, I was um, expelled from school because I brought chewing tobacco to the school. And, um, you know, and then they suspended me for three days. And it's kind of a bittersweet thing, right? Because you're kind of excited that you don't have to go to school. The problem is we were in a big ba basketball tournament, and basketball was my jam, and uh, I couldn't play in the game. And that was, that was probably a bigger deal to me than losing academic time. As you could probably tell, did I deserve it? Yes, I deserved it. But I've realized, you know, those moments in your life, you know, your life, you could probably think of times like that. You know, discipline is certainly not fun. We don't want to lean into that. But, you know, discipline helped me at least to learn guardrails in my life. They helped me to learn boundaries. They helped me to learn, okay, I'm pressing my luck here. I probably should back off a little bit. Boundaries kind of help me learn to discern, learn to respect authority, which down the road I'd have to respect a boss and that sort of thing. And uh, it taught me good things, but I've realized, you know, and many of you found this out too, that discipline is not super fun, you know, or comfortable when we're going through it. But we know that when we go through it, it, it does tend to help us if we, you know, keep the right attitude. I don't think we prefer discipline. We don't want to own our mistakes. But we know, again, that there's probably appropriate times where, yes, we deserved it, and we're going to learn something from that. How many people in here, 
by raising your hands, have heard that wonderful, your full name before from a, a parent, grandparent, everybody in here. So we all, this is like group therapy. We can share that, you know. How many of you parents have used that on your kids? And you're, okay, see, it comes full circle, doesn't it? I will never be like my mom. I will never be like, well, there you go. And uh, we do it. I've done that too. Well, today we are continuing our series. We're going through the book of Hebrews. Uh, this is episode 12, I think, somewhere in there. Um, and we're going to be looking at uh, chapter 12. So if you have a Bible or device, try, try to find Hebrews chapter 12 in there. We've been going through this series, and really the title is better. Because what we've learned in this series, and we've kind of tried to bring in the Old Testament and the New Testament, maybe some areas that you weren't completely familiar with. I mean, a lot of the Bible is the Old Testament. A lot of stories in there. But the whole point of it was supposed to lead to Jesus. And so that's what we were trying to do in this series, kind of show how Jesus is really the fulfillment of everything. And he's, he's not only the, the better way, he's the only way. And because of all Jesus did for us, remember there was an old covenant, and that's what the Old Testament's all about. But with Jesus, that covenant became obsolete. And now we have a new covenant basically created in his blood to allow us to have freedom and forgiveness and we can approach the throne of God with grace and mercy and we can, we can cry out to God, Abba, Father. Now we have this intimacy with God that was never possible before. That's why Jesus is better. But today we're going to be looking at this idea of discipline and that when you decide to follow Jesus, yes, your sins are, are taking care of the cross, took care of that, but now we get to learn the life of a disciple. And a disciple's life requires some discipline. But my hope today is we're going to look at discipline not as a punishment, but more as a training ground, right? So find Hebrews chapter 12. That's what we're going to be looking at. And we're going to look at today how discipline is really necessary to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. So let's, uh, let's pause for a word of prayer and ask God to speak to us. Father, we come before you with humility. You're the King and Lord, and we're so thankful that we're not. You're the king, you're in charge. May your kingdom come and your will be done. And today as we lean into this idea of, of discipline and the things you want to teach us, I pray that you'd help us to have humble hearts, that we would hear what we need to hear. Father, if there's something here that's going to maybe uh, uh, kind of, I don't know, maybe offend us a little bit, that we wouldn't just run away from that, but we'd lean in and see what you're actually teaching us. So Father, give us the humility and may your Holy Spirit move in a powerful way today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we're going to look, look at today a disciple's life for me and you. All right, so Hebrews chapter 12. Remember, we ended, if you were here last weekend, one of my favorite chapters of the Bible is Hebrews 11. And we talked about that, I think, last time. And we, we got this uh, whole list of, I think, 16 people are named, but there's a lot more stories in Hebrews chapter 11. And they were meant to sort of be this uh, cloud of witnesses that are speaking to us now, their faith to inspire us. And remember, the challenge last week was to learn those stories and to begin to learn how to imitate their faith. And there were a lot of stories there. I mean, certainly uh, you couldn't maybe get time to get through all of them, but let me just take a, a, a quick survey here. Who looked up some of those stories last week in Hebrews 11? Ooh, look around this room. Fail. So I'll extend your homework one more, then we're going to do the final, and then you see what it is. But learn those stories. Remember, there were some, lots of stories in there. I mean, look, there was Abraham. You probably know a little bit of the story of Abraham. There was Moses. Those are kind of like the superstars. But there were some other note, you know, people noted in there, you know, like uh, Samson, you know, the big, strong guy. He had a pretty sordid situation there. Then you had some of the other judges, Jephthah, and we talked about him a little bit. So that's your challenge. Week two again. 
learn their stories and imitate their faith because they're this great cloud of witnesses to try to help encourage us, like we read already last week, to, to run the race set before us, keeping our eyes focused on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. Every time I hear that, I think of that old hymn that we used to sing, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow. You're leaving me hanging. Strangely dim. Who knows that song? In the light of his glory and grace. See, come on. You leave me hanging. We'll, we'll let him sing it. I don't know. So let's start with uh, verse 3 of chapter 12. That's kind of where we left off. So consider him. Great start to this. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. And, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines, listen to this, the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whose father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, I love this, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness with which no one, without which no one will see God, see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal, for you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice whose words made the hearers beg no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given, even if a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteousness made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you don't refuse him who's speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, and that is things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. 
Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Bam. That's some heavy stuff right there. Now, there may be some things that are kind of confusing. There's that whole talk about approaching this place where you can't touch and that sort of thing. And and some of this, again, if you were a good Jewish boy and girl, you knew what he was referring to. You see, when the nation of Israel came out of uh, slavery in Egypt and and they were following Moses and and Moses' brother Aaron, who was like the high priest, who would become the high priest, uh, there were some special moments where God did some special things for them. And at one point, God was giving Moses kind of the, the rule book, the playbook for how the nation should be set up and the laws and that sort of thing. And they came to this special mountain. And at this mountain, special things happened. God met with, with Moses and, and the people had gotten so scared that they were getting that close to God that they began to worry and fret And God's presence was so powerful, they were freaking out. It was like they were having this moment. It's like the scary mountain. And they were afraid to approach it. And and in some degree, God was saying, hey, you know, I'm I'm, I'm holy, and I'm special, and you guys need to learn this. And so, you know, there are rules. There's rules to approaching me and making sure that you know that you honor and respect me. So in that whole situation of the scary mountain, that's what the writer's referring to, that that's the way it was. People were afraid to come to God. They were afraid to get close. But now, we can get close. That's the contrast the writer's trying to make here. That actually, that was then. But now, we get to draw close to our Lord and Savior. And we even get to call God the Father, Abba Father. We'll talk more about that. But that contrast. And again, when when you're thinking about who originally heard this, the writer was trying to appeal to what they knew from history. Remember, this whole series has been trying to to show how Jesus is the, the new covenant maker, the new covenant creator that makes the old obsolete. But we still want to learn some of how that ties in. And that's what some of this series has been about, and that's what the book of Hebrews has been about. But the whole thing is about what Christ did for us. And because of that, so many wonderful things have opened up. There's the city of God. There's all these things that are talking about new heavens and new earth. All that's been opened up. The old has been done away with. That's where we're at. And I love how the, this, this started this morning with the, 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 the phrase, consider him. Consider Jesus. That's really could sum up the whole thing. This whole study that we've done we really could sum it up with that. Consider him. Consider Jesus. This isn't the only time the writer told us that. Back in chapter 3, if you were here, uh, I'll, just, I'll kind of reiterate that. It's 3.1, it said, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a, a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. Consider Jesus. The whole thing could be summed up in that. Consider Jesus. All he's done for us, We've learned so much already in this series about just considering Jesus, looking to Jesus. I love what Andrew Murray said. Andrew Murray is a, was a preacher and a speaker and a writer, kind of a, a big guy in kind of early uh, spiritual formation, um, kind of a guru of his day on spiritual formation. And, and he wrote lots of things. But one of the things that he wrote about this book was uh, this, and I'll read it here. He, he, he thinks this idea of consider Jesus is kind of like the keynote of everything. The whole book is based on consider Jesus. Jesus. He wrote, this will be your cure. And I love this. This will be your cure. Each day, 
each hour, consider Jesus, and in him you will find all the holiness. In him, everything you need, all the holiness is in Jesus, focusing on him. So discipline. Eleven times in eleven verses, we hear the term discipline. And I think, you know, for many of us, uh, this is something that we wrestle with. I mean, probably the biggest thing that happens when you decide to follow Jesus, you start walking the way of Jesus, you know, you, you, you confessed, you repented of your sin, you believe in Jesus, you're baptized, you've done all those things because you love Jesus so much, you begin walking the disciple life. And one of the things that begins to happen is God begins to try to mold you and shape you, and that requires some discipline. But discipline, where we're talking about here, is not because he's just trying to punish you. The discipline is to train you. It's to train you. Much like, you know, the discipline of, you know, trying to eat right and trying to get exercise and all of those things, you know, that's a discipline, but it's not trying to punish you. The idea is you want to grow up. You know, you want to learn, train up your body to be healthy. God wants us to be healthy followers of Christ. He wants us to be fully devoted to him. And that requires some discipline, some trials, some things that may be difficult. And I realize this isn't fun to talk about. In current culture, even church culture, it's like we want everything right now. We don't want to suffer for anything. We, want to, we don't want to save up for anything. We want it all right now. And that's not the way it works. If you want to grow spiritually, it's going to require some discipline, some times of training where God's trying to put those, kind of like my mom did for me, put some guardrails in my life, learn to respect authority, learn to say no to things that are going to hurt me. That's learning the disciples' way of life, and that requires some discipline. And it's not always easy, obviously, but it, it requires that, just like other things in our life do. These things need intention. They don't just happen. I... Uh, I was given a bag of Doritos earlier in the week, and um, I had a lot of willpower for three or four days. And then I decided I was going to eat those, and uh, I think they were gone in one night. And um, I'm not proud of that fact, but I realized that if I let my doctor know that, he would not be so happy about that. I mean, they are wonderful triangles of goodness, but they are so bad for me. They will send me to an early grave. I did not show discipline in that moment. Now, I'm just a silly example, but some of you know what I'm talking about. This week, you probably maybe didn't have some discipline in some areas. Can we be brave? Raise your hand. Some areas? Okay, all of us? Okay, a few of you, you're saints. Thank you, but glad you're here <laughs> amongst us sinners. Glad you joined us today because we, we need your presence too. We need your encouragement. But discipline requires us, you know, again, learning to say yes to the right things and, and yeah, no to the, those things that are going to hurt us, right? That's the idea. Again, less about punishment, more about learning the way of Jesus. Learning training is what it's trying to help us do. Training and not punishment. And I think God's Holy Spirit is trying to do that work in us every day. Remember, when we decide to follow Jesus, I mean, even the scriptures say, you know, repent and be baptized, every one of you. That's Acts 2.38. For the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. We forget about that. God comes to live inside of us to empower us to handle discipline, to learn the way of Jesus. We can't do it on our own. That's why he comes and takes up residence inside of us to help us empower us for those great things he's called us to do. So think of it as training, not punishment. Now, yes, there are times where maybe we need a little punishment too. God's not afraid to do that sometimes with us. Sometimes some of you are pretty stubborn. I'm pretty stubborn. So maybe sometimes God has to use a little of both, you know, knock it off. And other times he's encouraging us, right? We need both of those in our life. 
But he's, he's asking us to consider this training and less like punishment. He's training us up. And, and look, we get a reward. Did you see that? And this is good. Every, we don't talk about this very often. But and I realize God has called us to live the kingdom way now, and there's going to be a kingdom not yet, right? There's these two realities going on. But I still like thinking about the reward, okay? I can't help but think about it. You know, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, we get this. Remember, the, the, the writer tells, tells us about this unshakable kingdom. This unshakable, these other things are temporary, just like the Old Testament, and those things were temporary. Now we get this unshakable kingdom. What is that going to be like? I like to think about this sometimes. You ever thought about that? Like, new heavens and new earth. When we cross over, what that's going to be like? We're, we're promised a reward. You know, it's worth it, right? It's worth it. What is that going to be like? Because I would like to be able to make planets. That's what I would like to do. I think I could do good a job at making planets. You know, different colors, different gravity schemes, you know, water that's upside down. I could do that. We get a reward. There's a sense of sticking with it. And the writer's been telling us all along, stick with it. Hold fast. Hold fast to your confession. Why? Because it's worth it. And there is a reward. And this discipline is worth it because it's temporary, but you've got an eternity. You're working toward eternity, both now and not yet. It's a beautiful thing that's happening when God is trying to train us up. We get this unshakable kingdom, and it's going to be so much fun one day. I like how uh, some of you, who's, who likes the, the message version of the Bible? Anybody use that? Eugene Peterson, a few of you? Yeah, it's kind of cool. I mean, it's, it's a different you know, camera angle on the scriptures. But I think originally he, he did that for a Sunday school class. I think Eugene Peterson did that for basically his Sunday school class. He was a pastor, I think, in the Northeast somewhere. And, uh, and he's, he was noticing that a lot of his folks in his Bible study were not really understanding scripture. And so he had the training. So actually he kind of did this kind of translation for them in more kind of modern speak. And so it's fun to be able to look at that sometimes. But listen to what he says, uh, how, how he translates this part of this passage. The phrase, one last shaking, means a thorough house cleaning, getting rid of all the historical and religious junk so that the unshakable essentials stand clear and uncluttered. Do you see what we've got? An unshakable kingdom. And do you see how thankful we must be? Not only thankful, but brimming with worship, deeply reverent before God. For God is not an indifferent bystander. He's actively cleaning house, torching all that needs to burn, and he won't quit until it's all cleansed. God himself is fire. He's, he's working through stuff in your life. Do, do any of you have some clutter that you need, need some cleaning out? Okay. I do. Turn to your neighbor and say, you have a lot of clutter that you need to get out. No, let me do that. You did it anyway. <laughs> you did it anyway. I feel the love. I feel the love. See, God's got some clutter he wants to do. That's why discipline is important. Again, he's training us on the things that are, are helpful for us and helping us to you know, kind of avoid things that are hurtful for us. Why? Not because he wants to punish us. He's training us up to be kingdom people. And so there may be some clutter that needs to be maybe kind of burned up and cleaned out of your life. And maybe that's your prayer this week. You know, God, there's some areas of my life I've not really opened to you. Maybe you need to kind of do some cleansing in some of those areas. Maybe that is your story today. God cleansed some of that out. And the writer's telling us to avoid something. And some theologians call this the Esau syndrome. See, one of the, the things that he mentioned in there was this, this story. It's referring to the story of, of, of Jacob and Esau. They were brothers back in the day, a long time ago. Anybody familiar with the story of Esau? It, it's kind of a sordid tale. Esau wasn't like a, you know, I don't know if it's a guy I'd like to hang out with. He, uh, uh, but he was a hunter, you know, so some of you hunt, so that... that 
would be something to connect him with. He was a hunter. Uh, he was a hairy guy. Actually, Scripture makes that very clear. He was hairy. That's weird, because I think if I were in the Bible, I wouldn't want to be described by the... Anyway, so he was, uh, he was a hairy guy, whatever that is good for. And, uh, and there was this moment where he does something kind of foolish in the moment. Some of you have made mistakes in the moment. Well, Esau makes a big faux pas in the moment. His brother Jacob, uh, you, you got to look at these two. They're, two. they're brothers, but they're kind of different. I mean, Esau, the hunter guy, kind of the man's man, you know, he's grooming his chest hair. That's Esau. I, I'm, stuck on the, I'm stuck on the hair. I don't know why. I don't know what's happening. Then you got Jacob, and Jacob's a little different. He, uh, he's got the apron on, and he's actively watching HGTV, and he's cooking. That's, that's Jacob for you. And uh, so you see the two different, some of you are like, you watch HGTV? How do you even know there's aprons on? Well, okay. My wife likes to watch it, okay? So that's the difference. And then, you know, so, you know, Esau is coming in from the field, and, and there's a point to this, so just hang on. Esau's coming in, and you have, you know, Jacob there with his apron on, and he's, I think it's lentil soup. Did anybody look at that? In first service, I asked that. I don't know. I think it was lentil soup. If you know the story, I'm pretty sure it was some kind of bean something or other. And, uh, you know, not my favorite, but what he does is ridiculous. He comes in the field. He's so hungry. He's like, whatever you're making, whatever that glorious lentil soup is, uh, whatever it is, I will give up my birthright for that soup. Now, we don't really think of birthright and that sort of thing. I mean, but then it was a big deal because if you were like the first son or whatever, you were kind of like the inheritor of the, the largest sum of the sale of the family farm. Basically, you got this great big inheritance. So if you're the, you know, the firstborn, you had some privileges. And uh, so this dude is looking at all those privileges. And in his genius, he decides that's not as good as this bowl of lentil soup. You know, look, if, if Jacob had been making like a Kobe steak or something, we, have a, we, could, have, we could talk, we could talk. But the lentil soup, I just don't, I don't really get. So he trades all his inheritance for this bowl of soup. And so theolo- theologians call this kind of the Esau syndrome, where how many of us in the moment will trade a temporary pleasure for the greater reward? And we struggle with this, folks. Can I get a witness? Do we struggle with this? I think we do. Even followers of Jesus for a while. We know, we know what he's told us. It's not a knowledge problem. It's an in-the-moment temporary pleasure problem. And we struggle with this. And so the writer's trying to help us be warned against that sort of living. Because that will always hurt us. It will never, it will never achieve that long-term you know, reward what God is asking for you. It'll never give you that fulfillment because that temporary pleasure just doesn't have enough for it. It doesn't have enough to cover you for a lifetime or for what's to come. So don't get into the Esau syndrome, trading a a momentary pleasure uh, for a greater reward. And so we don't fall into that trap. Let's talk about this. Ultimately, for you and I, as Christ followers, many of us in this room decided to follow Jesus, and so you're you're trying to walk the way of Jesus. And... uh, and we realize that as we've gone through this, it's not always happy, clappy following Jesus. Some of you are going through some tough stuff right now. And you're a follower of Jesus. You love Jesus. But even so, you're going through a relational issue, a health issue, a family issue. 
you know, uh, uh, you know, something going on at work, uh, something going on in your family, and it's not super happy clappy right now. This is the walking day to day with Jesus and walking by faith, trusting that God's got this covered, even if you don't get it right now. And our writer's trying to encourage us, don't give up, don't lose heart, hold fast, because it's worth it. We get this unshakable kingdom, and we get this presence with the Lord. Let's not walk away from any of that. The suffering is part of the process. I wish it weren't sometimes. I wish we could achieve everything we want. We can be instantly righteous all the time with a snap of the finger. But that's not how it works. It's built over time, walking with Jesus one step at a time, and discipline is part of it. But, but I think our writer wants us to see discipline is not a punishment as much as it is training. We're training up in righteousness, training up. In Christ, we enjoy awesome things. We get a pardon from sin. That's a beautiful thing. We, we get this, this, this purity of heart that we can come to him with a clean conscience, and we get this presence of God with us. And so because of all that, discipline's worth it because it's training us up. Does that make sense? Training us up. And so rather than getting all mad and, and being like confused as why we're going through something difficult, maybe we start to ask the question, God, what are you teaching me with this? What is this thing that you're teaching me? This thing that I don't like that we're going through this right now. And maybe it was a choice you made or it was a choice someone else made for you. You know, like you directly did it and so you're facing that or someone else did that to you. You begin to ask, instead of running away and saying God doesn't exist and you're mean, what if we lean in and say, hey, God, what are you teaching me right now? What is this thing you're trying to show me? What are you trying to tell me? How can you and I respond better to this correction in our lives? How can we handle discipline a little better than we do? How could, how could we do that? I think it begins by just asking the question more. How are you teaching me, God? What are you teaching me in this right now? And some of you know this, you're in it right now. And it's hard to ask the question, but that's what the writer's trying to help us get a handle on. Asking God, what are you teaching me right now? What is it? Because here's the deal. God our Father is in your court. And that's good news. God is in your court. He's in my court. He's our Heavenly Father. And He cares more about us than we can even imagine. Even though we're more sinful than we want to realize. He loves us that much, so much so that the writers of Scripture say, because of Christ, we can approach the throne with confidence and we can look at God the Father, not as this far off, you know, holy presence, but a presence now near us. In fact, we get to draw near to God and even call him Abba Father, which is this intimate phrase of almost dad. Some of us didn't have the greatest experience with dads. And we get this opportunity now to look at our Heavenly Father as the perfect dad who's always got our back and he's in our corner. Listen to what Paul, one of the writers of, of the New Testament said this. Romans eight fifteen. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We get to call him Abba, Father. He has our back. And so when we're facing discipline, we can realize he's training us. Our Abba Father is training us. Let's lean into that correction and not run off and blame God. What if he's trying to teach us something? There are lessons there all the time. Ask God. Maybe you need to write that down. That may be the only thing you write down today. God, what are you teaching me right now? What is it? 
It's not clear to me right now, God. Would you tell me? Help me understand. Because I think sometimes we're a little hard-headed. And we don't see it right away. God, what are you teaching me? And we know, as the writer said, hey, there are things that, as Christ followers, we already know. Right? We already know things that are going to hurt us. You know, things like bitterness. We don't want to be bitter people. I've known too many people like that that just kind of seem to be happier when they're, mis- they're miserable. We, that's not the kind of life of a Christ follower. We're not bitter. We don't embrace bitterness because that doesn't help us anyway. We don't grow weary in doing good. I heard a leadership podcast the other day and it talked about, you know what, in all the crazy things that are going on in the world and all the noise out there and social media, sometimes we just need to ask God, what's the next, the next right thing I can do? What's the next good thing I can do? Next right thing. So not growing weary and doing good, avoiding sexual sin, embracing Jesus' discipline even when it's a little difficult because he loves us and he's wanting to train us. Embrace hardships. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. We shouldn't be wondering why a certain thing is happening because we realize there's going to be some difficulties and he's trying to teach us something there. Let's embrace hardship. And then in that, we can worship God fully. I love how the writer says we, we worship in awe and reverence. You know, when we're singing these songs, and we're going to sing some here in a few minutes, but let's ask God to, to kind of reawaken the awe and wonder of his, his mercy and his grace and, and, and creation and beauty. Let's, let's worship with reverence and awe. We do that by walking the way of Jesus, even when we're being disciplined, because we know that God loves us then, and he's trying to train us for something good. Unlike those folks in the Old Testament covenant who were afraid to approach God, afraid to approach that scary mountain because that's where God was meeting with his people, we can approach the throne directly and we can call him Abba Father. That's a powerful thing because he's got our back. And here's my only point today. Disciples embrace discipline. Jesus told us you're going to face trials and temptations. Hang on. Like the writer says, hold fast to your confession. Don't shrink back. When it's difficult, press forward by faith. Right? Jesus isn't just the better way. He's the only way. We press forward. Disciples embrace discipline. You ever wonder why when stuff is happening good in our lives, we don't question it? We don't question God? You know, when things are kind of going sideways, God, why don't you heal? God, why don't you step in? How come you didn't do something here with this tragedy? We're always accusing God. What happens when he blesses us? How come we're absolutely quiet? God, how come I had everything I needed today? What are you trying to teach me? Have you ever thought about that? It's weird, I know. God, how come I had such a great day today? God, how come the Seahawks won today? No, 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 no. (laughs) Strike that from the record. There's a balance in Seattle between the mayor and... Anyway, um, sorry. But we don't do that. When something's great happening, it's like, why don't we ask God then? God, you, you blessed me with this new car. You blessed me with a job and a raise. You blessed me with something. We're, we're silent in those moments. Why? Why don't we say, God, what are you teaching me here? What are you teaching me about provision, about being generous? We were talking between services how, you know, when God blesses you, say, financially or with that, that job, why aren't we asking God, okay, what does this enable me to do now for your kingdom? Oh, I'm stepping on toe. But, right, when, when it's good, We can ask God, when it's difficult, we can ask God, God, what are you teaching us? And he can teach us through the good things, and he can teach us through difficult things, right? Does that make sense? Not because he's punishing us, but he wants to train us in righteousness, to train us to be more like like Jesus. God, what are you teaching me today? Let's pray. Father, we come before you.
And we know that you're, you're powerful and mighty. You're perfect in every way. And Father, you love us. And so therefore, you allow us to, to experience some discipline, some hardships, uh, not because you want to give us difficult things, but because we know that those difficult things help us to reach on out to you and to hold on to you and to hold fast. God, whatever we're, folks are going through in this room right now, I just pray your presence over all of us, that we would, we would embrace the idea of discipline and just ask you more and more, what are you trying to teach us through this difficulty? And God, we know that you can do immeasurably more than any of us could ask or imagine according to your power. And we hold on to that promise. In Jesus' name, amen.